slothfulness doesn't necessarily mean you don't do anything. Let's, let's just talk about this idea that it can mean maybe doing the wrong things or neglecting the important things in our life. Now, historically, uh, as we talked earlier in this series, uh, these seven deadly sins, um, you know, we could add more to the list. I don't, I don't see dishonesty in this list. Um, maybe uh, um, I wrote down a couple of things that I think we could have added to this list selfishness, maybe even bitterness or lack of forgiveness. Certainly there's a lot of these kind of inner issues that are deadly if they're not, if we let them grow and, and don't resolve them, that are not overtly things that we commit. Maybe some some of throw fear in there as well. Uh, so it's not a, a, a complete list, obviously. Um, but I think they are important enough, and all of them, of course, are taught somewhere in the scripture that we ought to at least begin with these. Let's see if we can say them all, 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 all these uh, peg lags without having to um, uh, look at our notes or anything like that. Let's try it. Ready? P stands for pride, envy, gluttony, lust, anger, another G, greed, and then tonight is sloth. Aren't you glad I didn't decide to do um, gluttony the week of Thanksgiving? That'd be kind of a bummer, wouldn't it? Because after we get it from the table, we're going to all feel like sloths, I think. <laughs> just put me on a tree, and I'm just going to hang out and wait for the pumpkin pie to come around. Well, in, uh, in the famous um, uh, poem, uh, literature by Dante, who described uh, these seven deadly sins, uh, um, and he had, they had different words for it. Sloth is just the one that we tend to use. But he described slothfulness as the failure to love God with all one's heart, all one's mind, and all one's soul. So the idea of sloth was not that a person is um, not doing anything at all, but he's neglecting the primary, the most important thing in his life, which is not loving God. Um, and in a sense, this might be the only one of the seven deadly sins that really is characterized by an, an insufficiency of love, an absence of love. In this case, love for God, and we might even add to that for our understanding, maybe love for other people. Um, the punishment, I always find these interesting, what they, the punishment or these various sins were in, in Dante's uh, Divine Comedy, uh, and the, one of the ones called the Inferno, Dante's Inferno. The punishment of the slothful was to be placed in the fiery lake, the wrathful being punished atop the lake, attacking one another with the various members of their person, including fangs. So basically, you're in a fiery lake being attacked by a demonic being. The slothful are then punished underneath the lake, breathing in sighs and bubbles and singing a very sad and mournful song. So in a sense, they're kind of like too lazy to even swim out of the lake of fire. They're just lying on the bottom and just, uh, you know, suffering the eternal punishment. Well, of course, we don't know, you know, how that is going to end up and how the sin will be judged in its variety of forms. Uh, I think most pastors that I've talked to would agree that there are, um, I don't know if they'd say levels of hell, but there certainly are levels of punishment, just like there would be degrees of reward for the faithful in heaven. Some will earn much because they live their life exercising much faith, uh, devoted towards God, and they, uh, much of their labors were done for the, in the name and, and honor of the Lord as, be, as believers. And so perhaps um, in, in the torments of hell, uh, there will be varying punishments for the varying lives people have lived. But that's just speculation, as was Dante's Inferno. 
But it is interesting to know that uh, for centuries, sloth has been considered a sin. Not, not something to laugh at, not something to just accept, but it actually was and is considered a sin by many people and should be by us as well. Uh, one Hebrew term, let's go to Psalm 78. One Hebrew term for sloth has the idea of a bow that's not been strung. It's not ready for action. Uh, Psalm 78, in verse 57, I thought this was interesting. Um, condemnation on Israel who tested God. Verse started with verse 56 of Psalm 78. Yet they tested and provoked the Most High God and did not keep his testimonies, but turned back and acted unfaithfully like their fathers. They were turned aside like a deceitful bow. The idea of a deceitful bow is it's, it's not been strung. Uh, the string has not been put on the bow, so the bow is, un, is not ready for uh, usefulness. Another term had to do with um, um, foolish laziness or sluggishness, kind of like that movie we looked in Proverbs 6 of going to the ant. Someone who says, I'll do it if it doesn't take too much effort. This is the guy who says there's a lion in the street because he doesn't want to go to work. You know, he, he cries out. He makes up this lie. There's a lion out in the street. You've seen that in the Proverbs a couple of times. Um, he's making up this lie just to get out of work. You know, we sometimes use the expression, someone uh, falls and injures himself, and we joke, you'll, you'll do anything to get out of work, won't you? You know, that's kind of the idea. And that's kind of what the slothful person might be like. Let's take a look at a, a more New Testament uh, flavor of this idea. Although the word sloth doesn't occur, the attitude is there. In Matthew 25, in the parable of the talents, There's another parable known as the parable of the pounds, but let's look at this one, the parable of the talents. And we see, we see what the master of the house thinks about uh, the servant who does not make an effort to invest his money. For the kingdom of heaven, verse 14, is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, that was an, um, uh, an exorbitant amount of wealth. Uh, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Now, that rings true for us. Um, this talent, these talents are what God entrusts us to use for his kingdom, and they may be giftedness, as I apply this to our lives today, giftedness in certain areas. You know, some of you are gifted in finances, and you have a, you have a real knack at that. Maybe even in investing, uh, maybe even being able to smell a good deal from far away. Others of you are excellent uh, at, uh, at uh, building things, working with your hands. And in a sense, that might be your talent. Um, God may have called you to work in the medical field, and that's, that's a, a, an area that you like. You, you love the sight of blood. It doesn't bother you one bit. <laughs> but the rest of us you know, may not be able to do so well with that. But you've got a talent. You've got an ability that God can use. Within the church, there are many gifts uh, that the Spirit gives to his people. So as I look at this passage, I think of, you know, God's given me, God's given you something with which to invest for eternity. Let's read on. Verse 16, then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. Again, this is an enormous amount of, of wealth. So he went and in, in, uh, invested, uh, traded, and made another five. So we've got ten total. And likewise, he would receive two, gain two more also. So he started off with two, and he's got double the money. 
But he who went, had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. This just, obviously Christ is talking about himself, going back to heaven, leaving us with the Great Commission, and then coming back and, and settling accounts with those who were left behind. And uh, so this is our day of reckoning, in a sense. This is our Bema seat. We're, we're standing before the Lord, and, and this parable helps us get a little insight in how that's going to go. Verse 20, so he would receive the five talents, came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. And the Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've, uh, you have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So far, so good. Then he who came, who had received the one talent, came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. I think the KJV has austere. A hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. Notice he doesn't say, I gained nothing else with it. He said, I'm now giving, I'm giving you back what you gave to me. You're, you haven't lost a thing. You still got it. At least I didn't lose it, you know. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and, what's our word there? Lazy. You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my, sorry, turn too many pages, money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. At least I would have got some interest on it. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. And then Christ summarizes by saying, For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, so now uh, we, we don't want to try to figure out, does this mean this guy was not saved and he went to hell? Um, it's not going to take time necessarily to go through all the interpretation of some of these parables, but obviously it didn't go well for him, and he was not uh, received with honor before the Lord. He was called wicked and lazy, and um, that should strike a chord with all of us, that I've got a judgment day coming. God has entrusted me, God has entrusted you with certain abilities, talents, skills, the measure of faith that you have, and he wants you to use it. He wants you to, to, to invest that in his work so that when we stand before him, we'll hear those wonderful phrases about well done, you good and faithful servant. We want to be good servants. Now, the, the simple um, uh, solution to this ending of the paragraph may, may simply be that this one servant was pretending to be a believer. He was maybe like the tares among the wheat. Uh, he was not truly a man of faith, a person of faith, and uh, he obviously had no desire to serve his Lord while he was gone, which uh, was revealed at the end uh, that he was not truly a believer. For me, it kind of rings true with those who stand before the Lord um, and say, Lord, Lord, uh, we did many things in your name. Uh, we've cast out demons. We've done many wondrous works. And Christ responds to them, I never knew you. Uh, they thought they were saved. They thought they were uh, being faithful, but in fact, they did not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. 
they were serving for their own purposes. They were trying to be busy, but they did not actually know the Lord. They had religion, but they didn't have a relationship with Christ. Um, but let's talk about some other New Testament usage of the uh, idea of slothfulness. Let's go to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And we got, can we call her Lazy Mary? Let's call her Lazy Mary for now because we know she's not really Lazy Mary, but Martha thinks she is. All right, so we have Martha and Mary at the house. Mary is busy, busy, busy. She's got all these disciples to feed. She's got to feed the master. She's got a ton of work to do, and I need some help. Verse 38. Now, what happened then as they went, that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. This is also the house of, uh, who else? Do you remember? Lazarus. Very good. Brothers and siblings there. Brothers and sisters. But Martha was distracted with much serving. KJV has encumbered. She had, you know, a, a lot of things on the fire at the same time. You know, you know, doing this, I'm doing this, I'm running here, I'm running there. She was encumbered. She was busy. She was distracted with much serving. Is that a bad thing? I'm sure any man here would not say it's a bad thing. She, she's making supper. I'm not going to fuss about that. She's making things for us. She's serving us. She's preparing things for us to drink, preparing things for us to eat. Uh, maybe some uh, appetizers before the big meal. I mean, she's busy, and it's, it's well appreciated. We, we're glad somebody's doing that. But she was distracted with, with much serving, and she approached him, that is Jesus, and said. Now, he would have been sitting, um, maybe right down on the floor, and the disciples would have been around him. He might, uh, uh, he might have been on elevated a little bit on some cushions as the, as the teacher, but he would have been on the ground. And as I picture this, Martha would have had to kind of go through the crowds to get to him. I mean, he's right in the, uh, either if not in the center, kind of at the end, and everyone kind of surrounding him there. And so she goes all the way up to him, um, and she makes this request. Lord, do you not care? Oh, that's tough. Do you not care? Don't you care? Now, honestly, we've all probably said something like that in our hearts when something didn't go our way. And hopefully, immediately, we're rebuked by that. There's even a song, Does Jesus Care? Does Jesus Care? And the chorus is, Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. Uh, Martha, to Jesus, do you not care? To care what? What'd she say? That my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to come and help me. Tell her to help me. Um, I'm not angry at Martha for saying that, are you? Are you upset with Martha? Does that bother you? It really shouldn't bother us. Someone who's working hard needs a little help. In a sense, that's what ministry is all about, is we see a single person doing a heavy job. What do we do? We try to get people to come and help. We're recruiting. We, we need another, some more help in the nursery. We need some more help teaching Sunday school. We need some help uh, with setting up, taking out chairs. We don't want one person to do it all. So in a sense, that is the definition of ministry, is um, equipping those who are doing the ministry with, with what they need to get the job done. But what we're not seeing and what Martha was not seeing and maybe what Mary had not even herself realized 
was that something very different was happening. When we are trying to staff the nursery, um, we're probably not doing that with the intention that the person who works in there never gets to hear God's word being taught. <laughs> we need to do this for a year. Can you do this every Sunday for a year? <laughs> uh, no. You know, and, and there's a rotation, obviously, and the people are off and on, that kind of thing. We don't want people missing the ministry of the word to serve. And that's where I think Jesus is coming from in his response. Martha, Martha. And he goes right to her. The issue is not Mary. The issue, Martha, is you. It's what's in your heart. Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed or is needful. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. I've heard some women say, well, then she probably would have said, well, then you make and just fend for yourselves. I'm going to bed. <laughs> I don't know how she responded. We don't have the response from Scripture on what she did. I'd like to think she plopped down and said, all right, Jesus, you're right. I need this too. Supper can wait. I can get back in order. I need some of this too. I'd like to think maybe that's what she did, that she realized Mary's got some priorities here. It is important to serve. It is important to serve others. But to listen at the feet of Jesus, how many times are you going to get to do that in your life? How many people in the history of mankind have had the chance to sit at the feet of the Savior and hear from his own words his teachings? Teachings that she may have heard that we may not even have recorded for us. Mary looked like she was lazy, didn't she? It looked like she was being lazy. She's not, she's not serving. She's not helping. She's down there with the men, uh, sitting at Jesus' feet, taking it all in. And Jesus said, she's going to keep that. I'm not going to take that away from her. But Martha, you need to think about what's going on in your life. You're very distracted. You're very busy. Mary's chosen the one good thing in, in, in your whole environment right here. A lot of good things, lamb for supper and side dishes and drinks and beverages and blankets if you're going to stay over, whatever. All that's good, but only one is really essential. And let me suggest to you that maybe the lazy person in the story is not Martha. I mean, it's not Mary, it's Martha. That she's the one who may have been neglecting what was most important. Um, may have his, neglects his family so he can make a lot of money and, and support them and care for them. It doesn't always create a sense of love. A lot of kids would have said, Dad, I'd rather just took those Saturdays off and, and stayed home and done some stuff with us and gone fishing with us, gone to play baseball or whatever. Busy person can sometimes be lazy in the sense that he or she is neglecting what is most important. And I think this speaks to that very well. Martha had the wrong priorities at this moment. Jesus is just a few feet away, teaching in her home. What is she doing? She's running all around getting stuff ready. I like to think she went and sat down, but I don't know. I don't know. So what? Sloth. 
One, one final passage, and we're going to wrap up tonight. But I want you to see this church in Laodicea, and then we'll turn it over to Brother Chris for the uh, business portion of our meeting tonight. Our pastor's been preaching on the churches of Revelation. Talk to me about Church of Laodicea. What do you know about that one? What's that? Lukewarm. And that's in chapter 3, beginning of verse 14. Let's remind ourselves about this church. And the, to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I'm rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on the, his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Some would suggest that this lukewarmness may be related to indifference, apathy. Their fire for God was not present, but they weren't actually in necessarily rebellion against him, actively fighting him. They weren't cold. They weren't hot. They were in that middle area. Most of us prefer to have a beverage that's either hot or cold, but lukewarm not so much, right? And the idea of drinking uh, something that's lukewarm, uh, we can relate to that with the idea of just wanting to spit that out, especially warm milk. I don't know how people can drink that. I think that's repulsive. <laughs> but they used to do that a lot before bedtime in the, in, in the last few hundred years. People would talk about having some warm milk. But I don't think these people were inactive. I think they were. But they had become indifferent. They had become passionless. They had lost what may have been there before. And they were comforting themselves by saying, we're rich. We have become wealthy. We don't need anything. You don't get wealthy and rich by being lazy. I don't think they were lazy in that sense. But their lukewarmness is revealed by perhaps a sense of indifference, a sense of apathy. Why do we get and how do we get lukewarm? Let me suggest a couple reasons. One may be burnout. Maybe you've been serving so much that you're actually closing, you're coming close to being burned out. And that's close to where our pastor has come. Working, as the book he's read twice now, he told me yesterday. He's read it twice. Such a blessing to him. It's called Leading on Empty. Um, leading on Empty. Not running on empty, but leading on empty. Working, serving, ministering. One pastor wrote, to be burnt out means that I felt trapped. I felt this way even before I came. My vision for the church had gone. I still did my work, but I really didn't care. My heart wasn't in it. I had no sense of purpose or mission. 
I felt that way for a year. I couldn't go on that way, and I knew I had to make a change. Maybe you, you can relate to that kind of thing. You work and work, and you serve, and you're involved, and eventually you start to lose that passion. You begin to lose why you're doing it. Soon you're kind of like those people I talked about this morning. You just live by the contract. I'm here when I'm supposed to be, and I'm out of here as soon as I'm, I can get out of here. And I do what I'm required to do, and that's, that's all I can be. That may be a sign of burnout. And that can lead to become a, a lukewarm Christian. Or maybe you've become calloused. You've been hurt by people. You've been hurt by churches. You've been hurt by people that claim to be Christians. And you've become maybe calloused. You know what a callus is? When, when part of your body gets repeatedly injured, it builds up a defense mechanism, doesn't it? A callus, a hard place. Runners have that on their feet and uh, laborers have that on their hands. Um, guitar players have it on the tips of their fingers. Uh, a place where you're inflicting pain, your body defends itself by creating a callus. It doesn't hurt anymore. I play guitar and I uh, freak out Bobby, but I could stick a needle in my end of my fingers because it's just a callus there. <laughs> because, you know, guitar players and, and people that play string instruments have that. Yeah, it doesn't hurt. It's just dead tissue. Dead tissue. Maybe we've become dead inside for fear of being hurt again. We've built up some layers so other people can't get close to us and get to know us. And we sacrifice transparency. And we, we sacrifice uh, opportunity to get to know someone more, more personally in church because we've been hurt. And that can lead to lukewarmness. And, of course, apathy may be a big part of it. I just don't care anymore. I don't even worry about it any longer. That sounds like someone who's given up, doesn't it? Maybe these people had, in a sense, given up. Christ said, I do know your works. I've seen what you do. But you're kind of dead. There's nothing really there anymore. Let me encourage you to consider your walk with Christ tonight, how you stand before him as a believer. Could your Savior look at your life today? I don't mean 20 years ago. I don't mean 30 years ago when you were on fire for the Lord and you're serving God and you're a new Christian. I'm talking about today, right now. What would he say about your service to him today? Would he be pleased? Have there been efforts to do the first things? Sharing your faith, walking with your Savior, studying his word, spending time in prayer, interceding on behalf of others, serving one another, loving one another, helping one another, all those one another passages in the New Testament. Could you stand before him tonight and hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? If, if all of a sudden in, in me talking about that, your mind goes back to a time when you used to be like that and that was not last week, there might be a problem. There might be some lukewarmness. There might be some slothfulness that's crept into our spiritual life. And it does creep in. I don't think it comes overnight. It creeps in slowly. And suddenly we find ourselves, when's the last time I shared my faith with somebody? When's, time, when's the last time I really uh, took some time to memorize a verse in the Bible just for me? You know, because I wanted to. I wanted to learn that. When's the last time I just did a study of, an, of a topic in God's word that I just wanted to learn and, and kind of get a grasp of what God's trying to teach me? When's the last time I uh, volunteered to serve in the church in, in some area maybe that was kind of out of my comfort zone, you know, just to help out? If the answers to those questions are many years ago, 
we need to repent. We need to repent, and as we learned in the church of Ephesus, come back to my first works, the first works, the first love that we might have lost. Fall in love again with Jesus, with our Savior. Walk with him, starting right now, starting tomorrow morning. Determined to start this Thanksgiving week walking with your Savior, thanking him, praising him like the man we saw this morning, praising him. And if it helps, fall on your face on your living room carpet and just thank him for his many good things this past year. Fall in love with Jesus again. And don't let slothfulness rob you of the joy of service. And may God be pleased to say to each one of you and me when we stand before him, well done, you good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord.